All right, here we are, here we are at Oscar Mike Radio. Today is July 2nd, but there are a lot of firsts on Oscar Mike Radio. I have, for the first time, a nine-time Guinness World Record book holder, an artist with a with a plethora of experience, just it spans a whole lot of, I can't even go into... We could, we could spend a year just talking about her artistic experience. I am pleased to welcome Fran Capo to Oscar Mike Radio. Fran, welcome to my show. So good to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Travis. I, I, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I've heard so many good things about you from Danny, which is how you got, we met right, through Danny's show. And uh, so I, I, I was like, oh, so I started looking you up. I'm like, hey, oh. he's going to look me up. I'm going to look him up. <laughs> you know? Well, folks, she is from New York, so you're going to get some tough New York, tough love, which I love, and some some good ex- authentic experience. This is this is this is not somebody who's trying to sell you something. This is somebody who's who's done it, and and leading up to that, it's not what haven't you done because you've been down the Titanic, you've been on Mount Kilimanjaro, you've been you know with snakes around you, jumping off buildings. What's next? But before we get to that, I mean, you've had a very long history. I mean, you're a nine-time Guinness World Record holder. How did that all happen? Well, see, I want to start by saying two things first. Is I was lucky that I had a mom who taught me, and my parents were both blue-collar workers. My mom taught me that nothing is impossible. And my dad taught me to always find the humor in life. So whenever I did something, if I tried it and it worked, it became part of my motivational speaking. And if it didn't, it became part of my stand-up comedy. (laughs) So it was a win-win situation either way. But even from being a kid, I always, whenever I saw something, I would have like what I would call a click factor. Like I would see it and then I would say, wow. I want to do that. I got to figure out how I'm going to do that. And the second I got it in my head that I was going to do it, all that mattered to me was how. Now, how am I going to make that happen? Because too often in life, people have this attitude, oh, I can't. And I go, listen, there's no such word as can't. It's that you won't. You know what? I can't lose weight. Really? How many you know donuts did you have for breakfast? It's not that you can't lose weight. It's that you don't want to. You like the bad stuff. It's too hard. So I always, because my mother kept saying nothing is impossible, I truly believed that nothing was impossible. So I remember when I was a kid going to the circus and seeing, you know, like the clowns, you know, running around and with the kids on the, uh, somebody else, another clown on their shoulders and another one. Another. I came home and I told my youngest sister, I go, get on my shoulders. So she gets on my shoulders. We're riding in the streets on my banana seat bicycle. Oh, yes. My mother, you remember those? Yes. My mother looked out the window. And instead of going, get down, you're going to get hurt. She just goes, watch out for cars. <laughs> so I had a mom who inspired us to not be scared to try things. And so with that in mind, the way that I broke my first world record, I'm, I'm a stand-up comic. That I mean, we can talk about that later, but stand-up comic. And I was working at a radio station, WBLS-FM radio. And what? kidding around, you, you know, BLS, and kidding around one day, I said, you know what? I could do a really cool Mae West impression, but I call the character June East, Mae West's long lost sister. 
So without like any warning, the guy, the, the DJ, throws the weather and traffic copy at me. And you know, in radio, when you have, you know, when you uh, uh, the red light goes on, you have to start speaking. You're live. So all of a sudden, I'm like, well, today the weather and traffic is. And in the 30 seconds I happened to do it, a lady from the Daily News was listening. And she called up the station and said, I'm doing a story on weather and traffic, people. How long you've been doing it? Well, you know, Travis, I'm not going to tell you. Forever. Forever. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, I've been doing it for a while. She goes, what are you planning on doing next? I didn't have a next, but I had a lady from the Daily News. So I said, oh, I'm thinking of uh, breaking a world record. And she's like, for what? I go, oh, I can't tell you because uh, it'll jinx it. I had no idea. So now I run out. I buy a Guinness book. And I'm looking through it like, what can I say I did? I see fast talking. I knew that I always talked fast. So I'm like, oh, I don't. So I had a gig that night. And the lady said, listen, if you decide you want to tell me what the art, what you know, record you want to break, give me a call at 6 o'clock. So now I had a gig that night. And it was like 5 to 6. And I'm like, should I call her? I don't know. So I call her up from a phone booth, you know, like Superman in the phone booth. I call her up and I'm like. I go, all right, I'll tell you, I'm thinking of breaking the record for fast talking. She goes, what's the record at? I mean, I have no clue about this. So I'm reading the book. <laughs> oh, the record is 552 words a minute. She goes, what are you at? I went, um, 550. I said, those last two words are a killer. So she prints it in the paper. And the <laughs> very next day, the Larry King Live people call me up and ask me to go on the show and break the record. But I didn't know who Larry King was. Kid, All what? I heard was, I, I, he was like Newton's death. I heard just what? You, you know, so I was like, is this some kind of porn thing? They're like, honey, no. This is a national show. I said, what if I don't break the record? They said, Larry doesn't care whether you break the record or not. He just cares whether you try it on his show first. So I figured, I called Guinness, said, what do you have to do? They said something from Shakespeare or the Bible. So I had a prayer from the Bible that my mother taught me, the 91st Psalm, which a lot of soldiers use. It's a protection prayer. And so I'm over there practicing. He did well, see if I said the most high shall you know, smoke's coming out of my head. I'm practicing that. I go on the show. They have a limo come pick me up. And I break the record that night doing 585 words a minute. And then I re-break it at the Guinness Museum in Vegas doing 603.32 words a minute, which is 11 words a second. That's so how I got I, I watched the Larry King clip, which to me, to be on Larry King is an honor and a privilege just for anything, right? I mean, he's been, he's a yes. legend. He's a legend. He is. He's actually in the Guinness book. For what? Really? I didn't know that. For having the most, uh, well, Joe Franklin was in for having the most broadcasts, but then uh, Larry King was in, it had something to do with broadcasting too. I don't remember if it was the most countries from different people. I don't remember what his did. I know Joe Franklin's was for having the most broadcasts. Yeah. No kidding. And, and you, you do it. I mean, and it looks like you've been practicing your entire life and he uh -huh. tells. <laughs> and I have been practicing for just two, for, uh, it was like maybe two days, not even. Yeah. And he's like, you broke the world record. I mean, what did you think when he told you that? You saw the reaction. Right. I was like, ah! I, I mean, they get, you know, listen, it, I remember saying to my mom before I went, I was like, I don't know, mom, you know, they asked me to go on the show. Should I go on the show? And she was like, 
let's see, national TV or doing a stand-up comedy show that night? What do you think? And I was like, all right, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them to get somebody else and I'll go on the show. I had no idea whether it was going to do me. My dad and I were practicing with a stopwatch. It's the same stopwatch I used to this day, like when I broke the record on the TEDx stage, um, which was just in December of this of last year. Um, and so we're practicing practice. So, you know, I have no idea what, you know, what you're doing. And so I said, okay, God, but the, here's the thing. The thing I was practicing was the protection prayer. So I figured God was saying, all right, we'll protect him. We'll not make him look like a fool on national TV. So, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, what we, is what I did. And then I broke it and then it opens up this whole other world because then I started getting asked to do fast talking commercials and, you know, Sometimes when you're doing something, like right now I'm doing your show. We don't know who's watching, who's listening at that moment. You know, you just don't know. So I went uh, shortly after to my honeymoon and I remember checking in and some girl in Hawaii going, you're that fast talking lady. And I was like, oh my gosh, someone in Hawaii saw it. You know, it was just like such such a cool thing. And then I got used to doing, now I've done over... 4,500 radio shows and over 400 and almost close to 500 uh, television shows. So um, you get used to, but I never take anything for granted because at any moment in life, anything could be taken from you or anything could be given to you. So I just always say, you know, thank you, God, always with gratitude. Thank you, God, for the the things that I have. And when things aren't so good, I'm like, all right, it's going to come to pass, not to stay. You know, because you know you don't want to feel like uh, you know what what's coming. It, you want to be grateful all for all the cool things that happen in life. And then the other records did a book signing at the top of Kilimanjaro, did right. a book signing down by the wreck side of Titanic. Went with twenty, uh, went with uh, twenty nine chiropractors to the Dominican Republic, and we saw uh, twenty one thousand six hundred and ninety five patients in two days. Um, I broke a record having a song from concept to national airplay within 24 hours. And then the other record that I broke was um, I became the first woman in the history of the world to zip line over or into an active volcano in Nicaragua. And then the last record was I did a TEDx talk. I did my full, it's called a world record mindset, how a world record mindset can help you accomplish anything. I did the full 28 minute talk. And then I redid the entire talk in under a minute. Get out. And it, this is a cool thing. Again, it's when opportunities come in life. Sometimes people go, oh, I don't know. I'm not, am I ready? I'm not. And I'm like, oh, you know what? The person who becomes a CEO, CEO became a CEO that very first time in life. Everybody gets scared at the first time that you're doing something. But if the door opens, you jump through it you don't go oh i don't know i don't know i don't know if i'm ready if you're not ready get ready and do it just so, stop the procrastinating so I, a couple things about your career i want to touch on but that's one of the things i find with a lot of my you know myself at one time and a lot of my you know fellow veterans is who who are in anything really but also in you know you know comedy or or you know video arts or whatever is oh my god there's so many unknowns how do i get started i don't want to get started and they never launch, and it sounds like you're saying just pick an idea, even if you're you're terrible at it, and just do it. 
Well, you know, I have, if people watch, which I would hopefully suggest that people get, you know, would enjoy, it's a very funny TEDx talk called A World Record Mindset Can Help You Accomplish Anything. And so I even made a little eyeglass thing that people could have the world record mindsets on. The very first one is just say yes and figure it out later. Because if you want to do it, you know what? You hear of all these companies. Look at Abraham Lincoln. People, I don't know if they know his history. He failed at every single thing he tried in politics. Tried running for a senator, he failed. Tried running governor, he failed. Every single thing, and then he gets to be president of the United States. He tried and failed, tried and failed. You tried and you failed, so what? You think everybody who ever started any business doesn't have success and failures? Just get in there. Obviously, figure out what you want to do and go, okay, I'm starting from here. And then from here, you try this and you go, oop. That didn't work. All right, I'll try this. Okay. You know, there's a Japanese saying, fall down seven times, get up eight. As long as you get up one more time then you fall down, you're good. Huh? <laughs> so, And that's what I say to people. You could spend your whole life going, what if I did? At the end of life, you don't regret the things you've done unless you've done really bad things and then hopefully you've moved on and learned from them. But usually you regret the things you didn't do. The person you didn't say I love you to, the the yeah. adventure you didn't try because you were too scared, the business you didn't try, the the kid you didn't, you know, all these things people regret because they were scared. Fear, let me tell you how fear works, and you guys would know this better even than me as, as veterans, is I always say, you soldiers going into the field, it's not like you go, oh, yeah, I'm not scared of getting shot. I mean, of course you're scared. Everybody has fear. Yeah. It's just that it's, you know you have to do it. So you're either going to do it with the fear or you're going to let the fear stop you. But the person who does it with the fear does it and accomplishes it. The person who doesn't do it because of fear lives that fear over and over and over again. Oh, I want to do this. Oh, no, I'm not getting ready. Oh, I want to do it. Oh, no, no, not ready. I want. It's like, oh, please, just do it already. And then if it works, great. If it doesn't, so what? Pick yourself up and try again. So that's really all because, you know, I'm a planner and an analyzer. So when I first started this whole thing four years ago, I, I had, you know, big, huge, complex plans. And eventually I had to pull, I had to get started and do it. And, and you know, I didn't know anything about video a year ago. And, and now bit by bit, I'm learning how to do video production and editing and stuff like that. And I think you're right. It's the same way. And there's, there's a fear of what other people think about you and people's perception, but I have found, I totally agree with you, that it's just, you know what, I don't know this, but I'm going to try it. And by trying it, I'm like, okay, uh, I'll give you an example. Hang on a second. You're going to love this. This is a crochet blanket. I don't know if you can see <laughs> that. Okay. So don't tell me you did it. <laughs> I did. I do, I'm doing it right now. The thing was, uh, when I first started Oscar Mike Radio, I uh, was trying to get some yarn for uh, a donation. And the lady said, hey, we'll give you the yarn, but you've got to learn how to crochet. And they thought with these mitts that uh, I'll do it for a half hour. They'll have some laughs, put it on Instagram and, you know, give me the yarn. Well, I think I'm approaching blanket number 20. Uh, they're like, okay, you definitely know what you're doing now. But it was that whole thing of being willing to try and fail and, and fumble around. And, and I think that's what you're saying to me. And... and you know, thinking of new things. I mean, you go from Larry King to 
Oh, wait, wait. I want to just add one thing about you talking about crocheting because I have a crocheting story. Oh, really? Okay. I was dating this Greek guy one time and he was like, you do not ever make me anything. And I'm like, I am not domestic. What part of me looks domestic? But I was like, all right. So I tried to crochet and my friend was teaching me how to crochet and I crocheted it. And I thought I was doing a good job till I realized that it started small and it was supposed to be a scarf and it was really big at the end. So I guess I wasn't counting the things. So, but it was Christmas time and it was like the next day and I'm like, I am not going to redo this. So what I did was I wet the bottom and stretched it out. So the bottom would equal the top and I stuck it in the bag. And I said to, when I gave it to him, I go, you got to open it right now. So he opens it and you know, now it looks even the next day he goes, I don't know, the, the scarf it looks like that. I go, what did you do to it? It was perfect yesterday. I don't understand. So, that was my attempt at crocheting. That is too funny. Um, speaking of funny things, I am cracking up. You go from Larry King, you know, nice controlled environment, Fran, you know, yes. everything, lighting, mic, the whole nine yards, limo. And I'm watching this commercial of you in this Volkswagen commercial with this guy taking you around this course, shifting through the gear, stopping the clutch, stopping the accelerator with you reading um, the Gettysburg Address, right? Yes. And, and, and I'm like, how, how many, I wonder what I'm saying to myself, that must have taken a hundred takes to do. That, that had to have been like a like an all day, all night project to get it just right. Okay, what now I'm going to tell you the story about this. So what happens is because everybody knows that I'm the world's fastest talking woman, right? So I get called to do different commercials. So I get called from Volkswagen Jetta, and they say, "Hey, we we're getting six world record holders together, and we want to know." If you get motion sickness, I said, oh, no, are you kidding? I love roller coasters. I love all that stuff. They said, good. And I said, why? They said, well, actually, we don't want to tell you what it is. We just need to know that you don't get motion sickness. And we want you to do your fast talking. And I said, fine. You know, how much money? Blah, blah, blah. We you know, work out the details. They fly me out to California. And we get there. And now there's six world record holders. Now I'm used to being on camera because I'm a stand-up comic. I do a lot of TV and blah, blah, blah. And the, there was the guy who does the um, Rubik's Cube the fastest, another guy that did something with air guitar. There were different things. I don't remember what each of them did. And so each of us have a trailer that we go in, you know, and we're in the middle of a desert. So I said, well, what are we doing? And they said, well, they, I, they said, all right, we'll tell you this. You're going to go in a, in a in a race car. I'm like, yes, that'll be great. So they I said, can I see the track? They said, nope, we don't want anybody seeing anything in advance. Okay, fine. So I'm in the trail. I'm getting ready. First guy. Now, I'm not going to say because I don't want, you know, first, I'm like, how long does it take for them to go around this track? It's like two hours. What's, take, what's taking so long? Next guy, because I was, I was um, fourth up. Oh, Next wow. guy. I'm like, geez, what is taking these people so long? So now I have no idea what they're doing with everybody, right? So now they go, blah, blah. And no one's allowed to tell the other person, okay? So they have it because they have a stiff, because they wanted us each to have like our own, uh, I guess, natural reaction or whatever. So now I get there. I'm all ready. Now it's my turn. And normally I don't read the Gettysburg Address because I didn't have it memorized. I, when I do my fast talking, it's usually something memorized. But they had seen me done on the Discovery Channel the Gettysburg Address. So they said they want to do it. And then they said, well, do you want to have it memorized? And then I said, 
wouldn't it be funnier if I'm reading it? Because then you'll get the motion of me in the car. And and I said, is it really going to be going like that? You know, like, no, no, we're going to be going full speed. Okay. Turns out the driver was Chuck Norris's son, Eric Norris. Yeah, it was so. He's a stunt driver? A stunt driver, a world famous stunt driver, and he's a, he's a race car driver, a stunt driver, and a stunt man. Get out! So he's he's got all these like cool accolades. So I get in there and he's like, "Hi, I'm Eric Norris." And at first, I didn't make the connection. I go, "Hi, I'm Frank Capel." <laughs> and, and then you know, it's like, "All right." And so he's like, "Yeah." And then he goes, "Most people know me as Chuck Norris's son." I go. Well, since I didn't, I don't really know your dad. I mean, I know of him. I said, pleasure to meet you. All I care about is you know how to drive this thing. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, we're good. So now I say to the director, well, what's my lines? What do I, you know, what do I have to do? And he goes, just read the piece and say whatever comes to you naturally. I was like, all right. Now you could see in the commercial that I'm really going because you see my necklace going sideways. So you know that I'm really, you know, and he's zooming into it. Because I love adventure. I love adrenaline. I was so tempted. I wanted to look up and look at the road, you know, but I had to read the thing. So now we're zooming around here. And when he ended, I just laughed. If you see the commercial, I just go, (laughs) really? And they yell cut. And then they come over and I go, okay, uh, should we do it again? He goes, no, that was perfect. I go, no, actually, I want to go again. They go, you can't go again. But we don't feel you could duplicate it. I said, I'm an actress. I can actually say the word really again. They go, no, no, it's good. I go, no, no, I want to go around the track again. <laughs> you just want to get for a ride again. And I was like, how come the other guys got to do it for like two, three hours? He goes, we had to keep retaking. <sighs> he goes, but we felt that you did it in one take. And almost all the time when I work, I usually do it in one take. Um, it's just a habit with me. I don't know why. Usually, as long as assuming it's never memorized, because memorized stuff I don't like as well. But if even in movies, though, usually I'll say, "Can I?" When I I've done movies, and you could go to IMBD, you'll see my whole list of movies. I go, "Do I have to memorize this exactly?" And they're like, uh, "Well, yeah, we did write the lines." And I'm like, "Well, can I kind of if I miss a word?" <laughs> they go, All right. "So some movies have actually just let me do it." As long as I hit the key points and not verbatim, and those I always do in one take. So anyway, so so we do the thing, and then at the end of the day, they actually said, "All right, you want to go around the track again?" I'm like, "Yes, I want to see what it looked like." So they let me go around the track again with him. But it, that that thing took one take. Everybody else. Because a lot of the people just hold world records. They're not used to being on TV and talking. So they weren't used to being in a car and doing the cube or being in the car and playing the guitar or whatever. So, uh, so that's it. It was, it was one take and I had a great time and Eric was a great driver, <laughs> which was good. It was fun. So one thing that kind of occurred to me, how, how much did stand-up comedy figure into you being able to perform like that? Because even though you're in front of a crowd with the light and the mic, there's still sometimes improv that happens during a comics routine. So how, how, how does that figure into, you know, TV work and doing this kind of stuff? Excuse me. That's a really interesting question. And here's the thing. A lot of comics memorize their act, even memorize their interaction with an audience. Like, I'm going to pick on that person and I'm going to say, how long you guys married and blah, blah, blah. But because they've done it so long, it seems like they're doing it off the cuff. 
I actually like working off the cuff because there's something about, that's why I do this Cup of Capo Live every Monday and Wednesday at 11 o'clock. I wanted to do it on YouTube and um, 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Facebook. And um, they said, why don't you do it on YouTube? I said, because right now as a performer, I can't perform because obviously of COVID. So I, the closest thing is kind of like how you and I can now interact and I'm doing a thing you know, by myself with the cup of capo. So at least I can see the comments from the people and it makes me then, you know, do that. Now, when I first did stand up, and this is a, a really important lesson I learned about stand up, I wanted to do, I, I was in college at the time and I was an accounting and philosophy major. And people go, how the hell does that go together? That's like one plus one is two. Why? You it's, know, and you're right. You know, it's like, it's two different mindsets. So I remember um, Joan Rivers was real big at that time and people were saying, you were funny. And I said, oh, it, okay, I'm a very big in believing in God and praying and things like that. So I was like, okay, God, if I'm supposed to be a stand-up comic, give me a sign. And so I said the prayer and what happened was I was at an auto car show and there was this handwriting analysis thing and I did it and the printout read, you have a good sense of humor. Use it to make money. And I'm like, ah, that's just a handwriting analysis thing. Then I'm standing online at Great Adventures and I'm joking with my friends. And a guy standing online behind me taps me on the shoulder. He goes, I apologize for eavesdropping, but you're really funny. Did you ever think of doing stand up? I'm like, ah, that's just some guy online. Meanwhile, God's probably going, how thick are you, Capital? What the hell's the matter with you? So now I, um, so now I didn't take, I took one acting class in college. Cause I, again, like I tell you, I don't like to read other people. I like to memorize I like to do my own stuff. So uh, not to say that I don't enjoy being in movies cause I've been cast in a lot of movies and I get a kick out of playing characters. So I was in there now. I don't know if you ever heard Edward Albee, the zoo story, but I'm not. that, okay. You, you know, that. so they no, assigned it in college and, oh, you have not. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So apparently I was reading it and we had to do a monologue. I didn't realize it was about a guy committing suicide. The way I read it, I thought it was a funny monologue. So I get up there and I'm doing it. And the teach, the class is laughing and the teacher's looking at me goes, well, I've never heard it read quite like that. And I go, what? The guy's talking about all these things. He goes, do you realize the guy's trying to commit suicide? I said, oh no, I totally missed that. And so he's like, I've never seen it done with a comedic flair. So this kid in the class comes up to me and goes, listen, I do stand-up comedy. I'll give you my act if you try doing stand-up. I go, well, what kind of act do you have? He goes, well, I do stuff about marijuana. I said, I've never smoked pot. I, I've never done a drug in my life. I, you know. And so I said, I can't. So I know at this point God is going, all right, you know what? I, I'm sorry. This I'm girl has like wax interviews. She's not listening. So I'm thinking God's not answering me. God, please give me this sign. I said, but I need a real sign. So I go to go into the college that day at the entrance that I normally go in. That door was locked. I have to go around the side. And what happens, I walk in and right on the wall is a sign. Is a sign. Yeah, and I did one other thing. I asked for God. I said, I need you to make it convenient. I asked to swear. This I asked. God's probably going, oh, what a pain in the butt. So now I said, God, I need you a real sign. I need it convenient. The sign said, stand-up comedy auditions today. 
the winner performs at Creighton and Gray's. Creighton and Gray's was an Irish pub two blocks from my house. Queens College was a half hour from my house. Creighton and Gray's had never done stand-up before. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's the sign. And I'm like, what's the audition? And I look and the audition was right then. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a class. I'm never late to class. I go, all right, it could be five minutes late. I look for the audition. It's literally in a broom closet, a guy sitting in a chair with a mop and a broom. Where are the auditions? Right here. We couldn't get another room. He says, what could he have? I didn't have anything prepared. Whatever I said, I said. I go, the guy goes, all right, we're going to let people know who's the winner. I find, I say, oh man, I didn't win. The guy says, Fran, you won. We put the announcement on that sign, but I never went back to that door again. So I said, well, when do I have to go? He goes, it's this Friday. It was now Monday. So I said, how much time? Five minutes. Tuesday, he calls me. Can you do 10 minutes? Wednesday, called third. By Thursday night, he says, can you do a half an hour? A half an hour? I've never been standing before. A half an hour? And my philosophy, just say yes and figure it out later. I said, all right, I'll do half an hour. Call up all my friends. What's the funniest thing I ever said? So now I have a teddy bear. I have all the notes on the back of the teddy bear. I bring it up on stage and I'm doing it. And I'm telling people, listen, just so you wonder why I'm looking at the bear. I'm looking at the bear because my notes are on the back of the bear. And I'm telling them all the things. People laughing. I get a standing ovation. They tell me, come back tomorrow night. You were great. I go back tomorrow night. And here's the thing I learned about stand-up comedy. The second night, I tried to imitate what I did the first night. Instead of being myself on stage, I wasn't acting from heart. I was trying to act from memory of what I did to duplicate that moment. But you cannot duplicate a moment. What you can do is be the best in the present moment. And so I was trying to duplicate yesterday instead of being present in today. So the whole time I was on stage, I was in my head trying to remember what I did the day before and the people weren't reacting. I was so nervous that I started crying. I got off stage, ran in the bathroom, closed the door and wouldn't let anybody in until the whole audience left. So then I got both ends of the business. Four months later, I walk into a comedy club and um, this guy says to me, Hey, I saw your app. And oh, and they wrote up a whole thing about me. Luckily, on the first night, there was a reporter in there the first night. Frank Capwell winged away successfully through her first live performance. So, this guy, Rick Messina, who's really famous big now, he was Tim Allen's manager. Back then, he was a bartender at the Rainy Night House. And so he said, Hey, I heard that you did really well. And I went, Friday or Saturday? He goes, Friday. I go, Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Friday. I can perform. And then I started doing stand-up from them. So what I learned is in life, you show up present. And when you show up present, you're taking in everything from the now. So if something happens on stage or on camera or in a motivational talk, I take the moment in without fear. I don't say, oh my gosh, the mic went down. What am I going to do? I go, Wow, what did these people not pay their electric bill? You know, I'll just say something in the moment. If I notice that, uh, you know, whatever, a bra strap is showing, I'll go, ah, why don't you people tell me? I never take it like, oh my God, my bra strap was showing. Or I never take it as I play in the moment. There's been times when, um, you know, like 
when you were asking me about stand-up and motivational speaking, I was performing at this place um, in, in Mount Evans. And uh, I forgot the name of the school that I was performing at. No one told me that we were going to have to do a little uh, miniature talk up front before everybody talked. So they had the keynote go up. And then all of it, they said, okay, ladies and gentlemen. Now there's like 500 people in the audience. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. Um, oh, first of all, when I got there, there was no table for me. And they said, well, didn't you bring your own table and, and your own cloth? And your, I said, nobody told me to bring it. First of all, I'm from New York. I'm in Colorado. Nobody told me to bring a table. And they said, well, we don't have, I said, fine, don't worry about it. So I went around the whole building. I found a table. I dragged it. <laughs> then I found another place that had a flower pot with a thing. I took the flower pot off, grabbed the cloth, put the cloth over. And I started looking around for things and decorated my table. I go, all right, I'm good. Now I'm inside. And they go, ladies and gentlemen, this is when each of our speakers is going to come up. And they have a prepared little thing about the talk. And I go, prepared little thing. No one told me about a prepared little thing. What the hell are they talking about a prepared little thing? And now I notice they're going alphabetically. My last name is Capo, which means I'm coming up pretty quick. So uh, the first girl goes up, has her beautifully outlined. My talk is da na 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 has her beautifully outlined little snippet of her talk. Next girl goes up, memorized, totally beautiful little thing. And I go, oh, no, we're up to B. I'm coming up next. I go up there and I went, all right, people. Honestly, I didn't know I was going to have to tell you a little snippet of my talk. So what I'm going to tell you is I do this talk called Dare to Do It. And so what I'm daring you people is to do this. I want you to drag the chairs from wherever you are, and I, and I want you to come and do my talk. And if you want to hear my talk, you just got to come in because I'm not going to tell you what it's about. You just got to come. And I dare you to come. That was my talk. And now you can see they're laughing. The audience is laughing, but the, the, the head of the ladies like, what? So now all the talks go, we break out sessions. Now it's, I go to other sessions. I'm involved in other sessions. Now it's time for my talk. And I go to my room, there's this huge commotion. And <laughs> I go, what's the matter? What's happening? They go, they didn't realize there was a speaker. They go, people are dragging chairs from all over the building <laughs> and going in there. There's nobody in any of the other rooms. My room was packed to capacity with people standing, standing room only, to the point that another speaker said, I never want to speak opposite you again because there's nobody came into. And I said, I'm so sorry. I walked in there. And I the first thing I did when I got on stage is, you people took me seriously? And so to answer your question, is it stand-up? I think it's something in me that just makes me say, and I'll, obviously I cried the second night, People get, you know, public speaking is the third biggest, is the number one fear. Death is number three. And you're really? thinking, what? Death is number three. Fear of snakes is number two. So if one day I go on stage with a snake and then I die, now I got all three. But, but no. there's, there's pictures of you with snakes around. So you're not afraid of snakes either. I'm not afraid of snakes. I'm not afraid <laughs> of spiders. I've held tarantulas in my hand. Um, you know, I've gone... Uh, it's shark diving. I've jumped out of planes. I've walked on hot coals. I feel God gives us a life and he wants us to use up every bit of it. I do what I call calculated risks. If I saw a snake out in the wild, I'm not going to grab that snake. But if somebody has a pet snake or if I see a snake, I'll take a picture of it or I'll hold the snake, but I'm going to do a calculated risk. I wouldn't jump out of a plane without having been trained 
but they train yeah. me for three hours and they jump out of a plane. Yeah, but it kind of, you kind of answered my question before I asked. One of the things I wanted to ask is there's a sense when you know, you know I'm watching you and listening to you that, that you have this attitude about life. And it's yes. almost like, you know what, you've said to yourself, Fran, I've got only so much life. And rather than sit there and say, well, I might get hurt or that might, that might not be a good thing, you know, I might look funny, you're just saying, you know what, this, this thing is so finite, I'm going to take it and just run with it. And I think that's where us as military people kind of, you know, resonate with that because a lot of us are in high pressure, dangerous situations. So we get this attitude where we got to just do it and enjoy it. And I kind of wonder, is that is that what I'm hearing, that you just have this zest for and enthusiasm for living as much as you can? Yes, because, first of all, time is the one thing that you can never get back. And if you sit there wasting time worrying about, am I going to look like a fool? Am I going to do this? Am I, you, you waste so much time in that mental thing. Now, I'm not saying not to prepare. You know, if you write a book, you got to write out the table of contents, figure out what you're going to write. But just jive into I swear, I know people who have been telling me for 10 years they want to write a book. And I'm like, stop talking about it. Just sit down. Oh, but it's not her. Who cares? I said, all the books I write, I just let it flow out of me onto the page. Totally not in the format yet. Then I go, okay, now it's there. Now I have the clay to work with. Now let me go back in, take out the sentences that don't make sense. Okay, let me go back in a third time. Now let me add the humor. Who cares? There's books I've looked at. Well, obviously I have an editor and we must have missed something. And you know what? Everybody's human. The one advice I would never take from, I would never take advice from a marriage counselor who wasn't married. I'm not going to take parenting advice from a, somebody who never had a kid. And I'm certainly not going to take an advice from somebody who goes, oh, you don't know if it's not going to work. If I see their life is not where they want it. So I always look and say, where's the advice coming from that somebody gives me? But advice, even if, if every, you know, acting is a job that only the top 1% make it, right? But wow. that 1% that made it didn't know that they were going to be the 1% that made it. So if they weren't willing to give it the shot, they wouldn't have gotten to where they are. And all in life that you have to do is you have, if God puts a passion inside you of acting, of starting a business, of having a family, whatever your thing is, you're not using the gift God gave you to, to be the full you. And you never, ever, ever in life want to be a victim. Oh, I can't because I had a bad childhood. I can't because I have one leg. I can't because this. Because you know what? There are people who are always, there's one, um, oh, I wish I knew his name. There's a guy that is on the motivational speaking circuit, has no arms and no legs. And he gets up there with this enthusiasm and this energy. This is what I'm meant to do, inspire people. Because if I can do this with no arms and no legs, then you can do this. And every single one of us has a special gift inside. And that's why I truly believe we're here on this earth. And I've been held up at gunpoint. I've been held up at knife point. I've had my house burned down. 
I had to take care of my mom on hospice where her stomach, literally her wound was open this bad. And I had to actually physically stick my hands in there and, and help her wound. My dad had cancer. I took care of him in hospice. My sister couldn't have a baby. And I'm over there learning how to do the needles and stick it in her butt so she could, you know, have the, get the infertility shots into the baby. And I'm like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. But I'm like, you know what? Can't afford a lawyer. I'll fight the case myself. You know what? I'm not a doctor. This needs to be done. Shut up and figure out how to fix her bandage. And you, I just talk to myself like, don't ever make excuses. Don't ever be a victim because if you're a victim, then that means other people control your future. If you are the person that says, I can do anything. And even if I can't, I'm going to give it my best shot. You control your life. And that's the position you always want to be in. Well, and I think that's so important because for the, for the person transitioning out of the military, trying to do something new, it's very, it's a very scary time. Because you went from one place where you were very comfortable and you knew what was expected of you at all times to having to make it on your own. So a lot of times you get in that mindset that this is just, you know, too hard. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny you mentioned this because a lot of times I talk to people who have a job for a veteran. It doesn't matter if it's out of, you know, uh, creative arts or in creative arts and the, and the person never shows up. And I'm like, dude, what happened? And he says, well, I just was afraid. That I looked like stupid, so I, I didn't want to interview and be thought a fool. And, and it's very frustrating to try to tell them that you, you know there's people that want to help you and want to give you the benefit of the doubt if you just show up. And that's I think that what you're saying resonates so well with not only me but people out there who are trying to reinvent their lives. Well, you know what? Here's the other thing. And so, what if you look stupid? Who cares? Who these other people's opinions are so important? Who the hell are they that you have to worry about their opinion? I mean, and that's really how we look at it. And yes, it's got to be hard because you guys are coming from being told what to do. And, you know, it just reminds me, not that I'm comparing veterans to prisoners, but I just happened to watch the other day, Shawshank Redemption. Right. And in there, there was that scene where the prisoner was scared to get out of prison. Uh, I don't know if you saw that movie. Yeah. Because, yeah, because he felt like he didn't know how to fit into society anymore because he was so used to having everything done. And then he winds up hanging himself because he didn't know, you know, because he was so upset. But the thing is, as long as you're trying, nobody expects you to be perfect in the beginning. And don't you want, you did a great service for your country. You gave up that time where you weren't with your family. You weren't. Now it's time for you. Now it's time for you to blossom and do the things that you want to do. And I've had people on my, when I used to do my podcast, um, the one that's in reruns right now, I've had people go, but I've never been on the show. I go, trust me, we're going to have a conversation. It's just you and me. Don't worry about it. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what your art is about? Do you know what your, your book is about? Yeah. Well, what if I don't believe me? I'm going to ask you, how'd you write the book? I'm only going to be talking about things you know. I'm not going to be asking you what happened in 1973. I'm asking you what you know. So there's nothing to be scared about. You know about your life and the host. And just like how you're asking me questions, you're guiding things out of me. You know what I mean? Like, because you're directing it a certain way. And obviously because of the way I am, I'm directing it a certain way. We each both doing that. But the thing is, if somebody is new to something, there'll be somebody that'll help you. Every single person learns from somebody else. Yep. I mean, you learn from your parents at one point, you learn from a teacher, you learn from somebody. So show up, learn, 
and live your life, you know, the way God wanted you to. So, you know, we have this, this, this person that I'm talking with, and I say that because, you know, people think, well, she's a superwoman. I'm like, no, you're, you're coming off as just a normal person who just has this drive for life and this drive to, you know, really get the most out of life. And, and you're an established artist, you, you, you're you an established comedian, I mean, adventure, so on and so forth. And then COVID-19 happens. And a lot of, you know, me to a certain extent, because I, I can't be in groups of people interviewing and, and things like that, a lot of artists who are used to performing in front of uh, lots of people can't anymore. So how are you adjusting to this? And, and the reason I ask is if anybody has the experience to kind of navigate this, it's it's what you're doing and how you're trying to you know, adapt and overcome, literally. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing. Obviously, almost everything I do outside of writing required, I have a one woman show called Love, Laughter and Life. I was booked to do that show in a bunch of different places. A stand-up comic, got to be in front of the audience. Motivational speaking for corporations, got to be in front of the audience. Um, you know, any acting things, we were in the middle of doing a movie. Obviously, the movie, you know, got put on pause. So I was like, well, this is a time that I could catch up. So there's two things I did. Because everything in life depends on your mindset. So you could either say, oh, my God, I'm trapped. Oh, this is, or you could say, wow, what project could I do that I've been putting off or what could I do now? So for me, I said, I need to stay in touch with my audience. Okay. So what I did was I did the cup of, uh, do, I do the cup of capos every Monday and Wednesday at 11 o'clock Eastern standard time. No, I'm not getting paid for it. I go on, I do motivation, uh, funny stories and, um, and comedy. And, and, and may and, I say, may I say some good old fashioned, uh, I, I, I didn't figure this out until I moved to the East Coast, some good old fashioned New York tough love. You know? Thank you. Yeah, because I, I basically <laughs> do do that. I'm going, people, stop whining, you know, because it's just, okay, listen, we're all going through it. You know, this, that movie, uh, what was it? Bridge, whatever the hell the movie is. I'm bad at remember the names of movies. But anyways, with this guy, he gets caught. He's a spy, and Tom Hanks is in it. And then the the whatever is Germany, whoever's going to get him. And they he, Tom Hanks kept going. Are you nervous? Are you scared? And he kept going. Is worrying going to help? And Tom Hanks kept going. But aren't you worrying? Will worrying help me? And that's what I say. Is worrying going to help you? No. So quit your worrying. Shut up and just figure out what you're going to do. And so I said, all right, what could I do? Ah, oh, they say that you have to tell people when you're going to be on air. So I said, all right, every Monday and Wednesday. Then I said, what else could I do? Ah, oh, my voiceover tape. And Travis, you know this because we that's how yeah. we met. We do the voiceovers. My voiceover tape. I had not revamped my voiceover tape, even though I had all these other commercials that I had done for Sirius XM Radio and for Good Day Milk and all these things. I was like, I'll revamp my voiceover tape. So I had a friend of mine who's also out of work, an editor. And I was like, listen. Um, you know, could we trade, you know, blah, 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 I'll mention you on my show, blah, blah, blah. So I bartered with people. He uh, edited that. Then I was like, all right, what else could I do? Well, I had my podcast. I'll revamp my podcast and I'll put it up on Buzz, Buzzsprout, Franz World, which is interviews with uh, all famous people talking about health, happiness and how to find things. Then I was like, okay, what else could I do? I know I'm a certified hypnotherapist. I haven't used that for a while. A lot of people are um, anxious and, uh, you know, stressed. So I will create 
a nighttime mindset meditation that if people go to francapo.com and enter their email, I'll grow my email list. They'll get a free nighttime meditation. It works great for everybody. That meditation has helped people with dementia. Nurses were using it in hospitals, helping people fall asleep without medication. People told me that they were having trouble sleeping because they were worried. They said half the people never even got through my whole mindset meditation. And it's not this voice. It's now you're very relaxed. You're going to sleep. This is all you need to do right now is sleep. So it's that voice, you know, because I do different voices. I'm a character voice of a person. So, you know, whatever. So the point is I could do all different voices. So I created the mindset meditation. I decided a good time to revamp my website, did my cup of capos, revamped my voiceover, put it up on Facebook. The very next day I got hired to do a voiceover for somebody, um, Right now, I'm creating an online class on how to write a book in 28 days because a couple of the books I've written, this book, Hopeful the City of Light, which I definitely want to talk about before we end, and I don't know how much time we have. Um, hope I wrote in three hours. I've written other books in two weeks. Um, when I get it in my head, I get very, you know, very focused. But like what you were saying before about people being nervous, I was saying, Hmm, what's the best way for me to do an online class? Do I do it through Zoom? Do I ask people to pay for an advance? Should I do the class and then have them call in or should I do it in YouTube? So right now I'm figuring that part out as I'm writing the class. I used to teach the class live. So I'm just transforming it to online. Everything's a learning process. I didn't know what the hell StreamYard was. I never did a Zoom conference. I didn't even know the Instagram had a live thing. Someone says, oh, we're doing it on IG. And I went, what the hell's IG? She goes, Instagram. I go, oh, I should have known that. Okay. And, and then someone else said to me, oh, we're going to do the interview on Facebook. I said, oh, I thought I only could do it. Oh, you mean I could join on Facebook with you? This has been such a learning curve for me because, you know, I used to laugh at my mother when she didn't know how to work a fax machine. Mom, how do you not know how to work the fax machine? Now my son and I have conversations. I don't drink. He doesn't drink either. But it's funny because, like, I'll go, Spencer, I'm just asking you, where do I move the arrow? Mom. The arrow's at the bottom right. Spencer, I don't see that arrow. Where is that arrow? Mom, just look at the top where the three dots are. What three dots? There's Par- three dots. Parents are hard to raise, Fran. Parents and, are and harder. And so he, I go to him, Spencer, I'm going to start drinking. He goes, Mom, I'm going to start drinking. And so so anyway, so to, to answer your question, there are a million things you could think of. You could write a book. You could start a podcast. You could think of what you're going to do when you come out of here. You could do an online class. You could start, you could take a course. A friend of mine actually took an online course. Uh, I don't know. It was like COVID something. It was to learn something about COVID and, and be like a person who takes the testing of the COVID people. I don't know. So people have been taking downline courses. There's a million things to do in life. I don't care if you if right now you just, one friend of mine started taking up photography and is doing these beautiful pictures. Now he's deciding that he's going to make the pictures into a photography book. Some people are teaching their dance classes online. Just figure out what you specialize in or what you have to offer and do it that way. And, you know, and for the meantime, you know, if you have to, I say we're all in the same storm. We're not all in the same boat. Some people are in a yacht. Some people are on a dinghy. So we all have different <laughs> different ways that we have to handle it. But if you're holding on to that dinghy or if you're in the yacht, well, if you're in the yacht, you really don't have to worry about too much. But if you're in the dinghy, you know, figure out ways on a day-to-day 
And also, no matter how sad you are, always find something beautiful and funny in the day to look at. Because everything in life is where you focus your camera. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, as, as we kind of wind down, we've talked about, you know, how to, you know, approach life and approach problems, not only from an artistic standpoint, but also just in real life. We talked about your experience, but I did notice you are a prolific writer. Like, like no, no joke. Yeah. You have, you have, I mean, like what else? Can- All these books? <laughs> yeah. And, and so, yeah, tell me about that because, um, I mean, not a lot of people do that or they do it through a ghostwriter, but it, you've done an entire book in hours. Okay. So I've written 22 books. And the first book I wrote was actually a derivative of this one of New York uh, Myths and Legends. But it was called It Happened in New York. And uh, to to make that. So what happened was someone said, oh, Fran, there's a company looking for someone to write a book called It Happened in Utah. So I went, Utah? What the hell happens in Utah? So I called it. not, Not sorry, Utah people. So I call up the publisher. I go, listen. What happened in Utah? That's going to be a brochure. What about it happened in New York? And so they go, ma'am, we don't do East Coast books. I go, what are you talking about? Well, how do you not do East Coast books? New York, we have so many things in New York. So she says to me, this is the first time ever. Um, so she says to me, well, why don't you write a proposal? I had no clue what a proposal was, but I didn't want to tell her. So I said, well, I want to do the proposal the way you want. So why don't you send me a sample of your proposal so I make sure that I meet your guidelines? Because I had no clue what the hell a proposal was. Well, if you ever write a book proposal, it's like writing the book practically. You have to write the table of contents, who's the target audience, all this stuff. I was like, geez, I, at this point I'm right. So I had put some chapters in that book that I thought, I'll just go down to the historical society. I'll be able to find out the answer to this. Bing, bing, bing. This will be over. Oh, no. It, I went, I it was, uh, Manhattan was bought from the wrong set of Indians. And I had seen a little thing. So I figured I'd do a story. I go down the historical society. They go, when you find out about that, let us know. I went, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. So anyway, so I write that book, but I made a deal with them. If I write, it happened in New York. Can you give me, it happened in New Jersey. And it happened in Pennsylvania because those are the three places I do my stand-up comedy. I wanted to be able to sell the books at the back of the room. P.S. For that particular company, I wrote it happened in New York, happened in New Jersey, myths and mysteries of New York. It happened in New York City, happened in Pennsylvania, uh, myths and mysteries of Jersey. I wrote a whole bunch of them. Now, other each book comes about different. So that was history. And I hated history as a kid. And I said... I'm going to make this so interesting that kids will love history because who the hell wants to just memorize dates and the battles and, you know, and, and I, I, no offense to the vets, but I'm just saying, you know, you want to know the the stories at the battles. You want to, you want to know the interesting stuff about history. So all different things in there. So then the very first book I wrote, um, and then I want to get to Hopeville because it's the one I really want to talk about. The very first book I wrote, but I'm trying to give people ideas because if they want to write a book of how I went in very different, some books are self-published. And this is what I'm going to be talking about in my class, how uh, to write a book in 28 days. Some books are self-published. Some books are with traditional publishers. Some books are eBooks. So all different uh, ways to approach it. But the very first book, was um, there? I went to this seminar where people want to be a speaker. Was it Sky Paul? Uh, you know, um, Paul uh, Seminar Leaders of America, and the guy was saying, "Oh, you know, blah blah blah. You know, if you want to be a keynote speaker, anyway, he's trying to sell this class for like uh, this thing for five hundred bucks, and everybody had to get up and stand up and talk. 
and these people want to be speakers. And it's like 500 people and only like 20 people are willing to get up and talk. I'm like, how are you going to speak if you don't even want to stand up and speak about what you want to speak about? So anyway, so I get up and I do my thing again, just improv. Yeah, well, I'm thinking of blah, blah, blah. Guy at the end goes, you'd be a really good speaker. I said, he goes, you should buy my course. I said, well, if you think I'm going to be such a good speaker, then you should give me a course for free. Because I can't. Oh. So I said, all right, I understand. You got to make money. I said, well, why don't you tell me what cruise ship you're speaking on? He goes, oh. I took me three years to get on this cruise ship to speak. I said, fine, just tell me what cruise ship you're speaking on. So he tells me, Spirit Regent Star. So I call it Regent Star. Did not have a talk in mind. And I call it Regent Star. And I'm like, hey, I understand you have speakers. And they were like, yes, what do you speak on? I said, oh, I have all different topics. So they said, I said, it depends who the audience is. So they said, well, our audience is over 65. So I said, I have a topic, how to have energy in the later years. And they said, yeah. I said, yeah. And they booked me. I didn't have any topic. Now I had to go out and write this thing. I go do the show, come back, get paid. Paul's like, how the hell did you get on that ship? It took me three years. I said, I told him I had this topic. He goes, I want you to be the keynote speaker now for my next talk. I was like, all right. So I said, how long? He goes, 15 minutes. I go, okay. I call him back two weeks later. I go, all right, I have my 15 minutes ready. He goes, no, I didn't say 15. I said 50. <laughs> I said 50? He goes, five yeah. Zero. I go, yeah, and I, that's what I said. I went five zero. He goes, yeah. And I go, uh, he goes, is that a problem? I said, no. And he goes, you got a book? I said, why? I need a book? He goes, well, if you have a book, this is before I, this is my very first book. He goes, you have a book? I said, no. He goes, well, if you do, you can sell it at the back of the room. I said, eh, I got two weeks. I'll write a book. And so I took my talk of how to get publicity without a publicist, turned it into a book, went to Staples, spiral bound it, made up 400 copies and sold all 400 copies at that talk. So I said, wow, this book thing is good. And the first three books were all spiral bound at Staples and I would sell them for 20 bucks. Then I started doing, then that's what happened when I did the It Happened in New York. Then I got my first real book. And then... Um, things would come about where people would say, we want you to speak at Barnes and Noble. And I said, Oh, could I talk about my book? Hopefully the city of light. No, we want you to actually talk about comedy. I don't have a book on comedy. Oh, well, that's what we need you to talk about. I said, well, I could talk about comedy, but I don't have a book on it. They said, well, could you do a book? And I said, how long? They said two weeks. I went, ah, here we go again. So I wrote an entire book on, uh, humor, uh, the humor approach, um, had a, putting your funny side up. A Guide to Using Humor in Business Speaking and Everyday Life. I wrote that in two weeks, got the ISBN numbers, and actually had it in the Barnes & Noble database by the time I went to do the talk. So anything I stick my mind to, the only book I can't explain is the book, Hopeful, The City of Light. And when I say I can't explain it, it's because of this. I was asleep at 4 o'clock in the morning. I hear a voice going, get up, you have to write a book. And I'm like, wow, this is a weird dream. And it's going, Frank, get up, you got to write a book. So now I'm going, Geez. so I turn to the light, I don't see anything. I'm like, oh, that was a weird dream. And now I hear it again, get up, you have to write this book. Now I turn on the light, now I hear the voice. So so God went from like, signs to just saying, Fran, get up and get going. And, and honestly, Travis, it wasn't. I couldn't even tell whether it was a male or female voice. You know, like when someone whispers over your shoulder, like, hey, Travis, and you can't tell whether it's a guy or girl because it's like that kind of whisper right, thing. Right, right. 
So now I'm looking around now, four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh my God, now I'm hearing voices. I'm walking around and I go, I don't know what book you're talking about. They go, write this down. Hope filled the city of life. So I, I, as a writer, you always have a pen and paper by your desks in case you get an idea. And I write it down. And I hope filled the city of life. Now I start arguing with the voice. I go, listen, it's four o'clock in the morning. I go, I don't know. Can you pick a better time? I got to get up in the morning, take my kid to school, my mom to work. And so I start, I go, I'm done. I'm just writing down the title. I'm good. And I go back to sleep. Next morning, take my kid to school, my mom to work, have to get my car fixed. I have my computer. I'm working on my other book, um, uh, Adrenaline Adventures, which is 50 different adventures you could do in a day or in a weekend. And I'm working on Adrenaline Adventures and I'm working on a shark chapter. And so I go to the guy with my laptop and I say, hey, can I work back here while you fix my car? Because I don't have a way to get home and come back. I go, sure. Travis, in my entire years of writing books, I've never had writer's block ever because I don't make myself be perfect. I just allow it to flow onto the page. I go to type and my hands are like frozen. And I'm like, this is so weird. And I'm like, why can't I type? And I'm like, I can't sit here for three hours and do nothing. So then I said, oh, what was the name of that book? And then I had the little piece of paper that I written and I went, well, Hope filled the city of light. For the next three hours, I don't remember one word I wrote on that page. I remember writing the words, the end. And I remember the guy saying, Fran, um, he goes, your car's ready. That was really weird. I'm like, what? And he goes, you didn't move. You didn't, you didn't go to the bathroom. Didn't look like you were breathing. You didn't take a drink of water. I said, I think I wrote a book. He goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't know. I can't tell you one word in that book. So now I go home and I finish working on Adrenaline Adventures. And a couple of weeks later, I said, I should look at what I wrote. And it was a story about four people, a little boy who's always getting bullied, a successful businessman who never took a family or anything because he was busy building his business, a widowed mother who's holding down three jobs, and a old a man who feels he has a lot of knowledge from what he experienced in life to give to people, but nobody wants to listen to him. And on the same night, they all say a prayer and they're asking God and the angels above, you know, uh, how do I know when people are good or trying to help me? I'm trying to do the best in the world. What could I do? And they all say this prayer and an angel of light comes to each of them and tells them just a little different thing they each have to do to be a success. And each one is like, well, I don't know. I'm just a little boy. I don't know. I'm just an old man. And they each doubt it. And the angel says to them, trust in me. I'm going to actually give an outer light to people so you'll know who's good and who's, uh, you know, who's got bad intentions and you'll be able to guide through that. And it goes through the whole story of each of them being willing to take on the challenge. And the angel says, if you do this, there'll be a ripple effect and it'll change the, you know, the whole town. And it goes through all the trials and tribulations that they each have to face within themselves to become the best them they can be. So I, I go, wow. This book's got a lot of stuff in it. I better do something with this book, you know? So now I'm thinking, all right, so I make it into an ebook and it hits number 11 on Amazon. So I'm like, all right. Now I was told by the voice, you have to get the book out. It has a message that could change the world. And so I figured, all right, I got it as an ebook and stuff. 
what I did when I performed for the military, because I performed for all branches of the military. I performed for the National Guard out in Long Island. I went to Okinawa, performed for the Marines there. I performed uh, uh, in uh, the DMZ zone all the way down to the tip of South Korea. And what I did was I actually made up, because we weren't allowed to give gifts to any of the soldiers, what we were told. So I made up little bookmarks with positive sayings from the book, Hopeville, The 44 Secrets of Happiness is, is contained in the book. Anyway. So now I'm saying to God, all right, God, you tell me I got to get this book out here. You better help me out here. And so because I said, I don't want to go to heaven. And then you get mad because you gave me this book. And now I have to sweep heaven because I didn't do whatever you asked me to do. And I'm over there now, you know, mopping heaven, you know. So I say, so I say a prayer. And on that night, I say, all right, God, help me out. How am I supposed to get this book out? And the next morning. This is years after because I wrote the book in um, 2004. Oh, wow. But this, yeah, this was years after. Now we're talking like in 2016, 17. Um, I say this prayer, to, you know, God help me out here. I've been, you know, the book hit number 11. I'm trying to get it out. I sold 50 copies. I've done this, but is this enough? The next morning, somebody calls me and goes, Congratulations, I'm sleeping. And they're going, I just saw you on ABC. I go, Impossible. I'm in bed. What are you talking about? Somebody else calls. Hey, great news. You're on Metro News in the BBC. I go, I don't even know what Metro News is. How am I on that? I call my son. Spencer, what the hell is everybody talking about? He goes, Mom, this video of you went viral. I go, what video? I didn't do a video. I'm sleeping. The night I said the prayer, this guy who had from True TV, who had done a video with me, an improv video that I had done in Manhattan, Three years prior, oh wow! Ne realized he never edited it. And that night, I guess at the same time I said the prayer, he said he looked up and saw the video and realized he never edited it. He edited it, put it online, and it went viral. So now I'm getting calls from all these TV and radio shows. And I, can you come on and do the fast talking? I said, as long as I could talk about my book, Hope Filled the City of Life. It contains the 44 secrets, the 44 secrets of happiness in it. Secrets like you control your inner life by your thoughts, bringing joy to others increases your light. And it's all just a guide of how to live your life. And I feel that I was given that book. So this book was written in three hours and it's been in programs like uh, Pizza with the Police. Uh, we've, uh, I've joined with this guy, uh, joined the conversation, Eric Wilson. We've, uh, introduced the book into prisons to help people. And I've gotten, uh, letters from, from some of the military people who, um, you know, had ordered we'll the book. Have, we'll I, well, to... Actually, I do say this. I give the military a free download of my book if they're an active military. We'll have to I have you that. back on to discuss your military travels and times. Uh, I want to yes. hear more about that. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is just so key because you you start off with something that you tried to do and you've just kept it going by that saying that yes. And by being authentic, that really kind of stood out to me is, is you didn't have success when you tried to be something that you weren't. You had success when you were just you. And you showed up and you took what you had. And yes, this ripple effect is, is, is happening now with people. You know, how's it going to influence you going forward? I mean, what's next for, for, for uh, Fran? Or is it just saying yes to whatever comes? Well, you know, it's like I have to be moved by like, 
like right now I was supposed to actually be going, uh, trekking into Vietnam to do the, um, world, go into the world's largest cave, the Sun Yong Hung cave, whatever. Cause I wonder it's his cave that supposedly is so big that a 747 can fit inside of it. And, um, and, uh, I want to go to the bottom of the ocean in the hyperthermal vents. Um, I found out that the same way that I went down to the Titanic, there's a submersible that goes down to the Titanic. Obviously, travel right now is not something I can do. So the online class is the next thing because I've never done one. I'm going to explore and find out how to do one. Um, so that's my next immediate uh, you know, project. But always, like, I just found out in Jamaica, there's a hotel that you, it's actually a cave and you can sleep inside a cave. When I stumble across things, I'm like, I have to do that. Oh, that'd be great. I could do a book signing there or whatever. I just, I allow things to come into my life and I allow that I will go, that resonates with me. Let me see how I could do that. Because you don't know. I didn't know I was going to do a book signing at the top of Kilimanjaro. I was going to get down to the wreck side of the Titanic. I mean, those are funny stories we could save for another time. But I didn't know. Or you could go watch um, the TEDx talk because I have the three stories on there. Um, uh, the Everything's on my website, frankcapo.com, by the way. But the point is, life can throw you some beautiful and some crazy curves. No one in their right mind would have said back in January, oh, you know, in March, the world's going to shut down. We would have been like, what the hell are you talking about? You just don't know. And so because of that, you just have to be flexible. And I always say, okay, God, just guide me to what my next thing is supposed to be. And so the only next one that I'm planning is the book. Honestly, you could call me in a month, Travis, and who knows where I'll be. I'll decide that I'm ballooning across the world. I don't know because it's going to be whatever whatever I feel takes me there. Well, I definitely want to have you back on to discuss uh, your times with the military. I think what we talked about today really you know, will resonate with people who are, are trying to get started, especially now. And, and you know, in a way, your story kind of you know flows with what I've been doing. You know, four or five years ago. If you told me that we'd be talking and I'd be doing stuff like this, I would have said, no, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Right. And, and, and so it's kind of the same thing. So I, I definitely, you know, really connected on, on, on what you were talking about in Coach Rocco's uh, show and, and today. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what else happens, not only with you, but, you know, with us together as we try to make a dent in this world. So, yeah, and I can I just say, because yeah, I don't know who your audience is, but I just want to say I really sincerely from my heart want to thank all the military people, because the things that you guys do that you have to give up that sometimes I think people take for granted the stuff that you have to give up seeing your family, you know, being home on Christmas and all these things that you guys give up and to to fight for our freedoms. And I just sincerely want to thank every single one of you. And that's why I loved performing for the military. And we can talk about that next time. We will oh, talk my about that next time. Things. Yeah. I, I, everything from them daring me going, we dare you to do uh, jumping jacks in a bomb suit. I go, put it on me. Go ahead. I'll do it. So all these crazy things that I've, uh, I've done when, when I was there. Yeah. So I will have links to FranCoppo.com and her books and things in the Oscar Mike Radio uh, show post on OscarMikeRadio.com. It's going to be great seeing how, you know, Fran affects me and what I do with Oscar Mike Radio. 
And Fran, I mean, is there anything else we want to close with before we, uh, I mean, I think the good stuff comes next time and maybe next time because I'm always trying to get, uh, you know, guests like you to come back. And I think we got a lot to talk I'd about. Lo- I'd love to come back. The only thing I would say is please check out FranCapo.com. There's a lot of cool books there. Um, the Hopeful book really, really, really I'm is, gonna check is that a out. great book for people to have. And But the other thing, too, is um, if anybody's having any anxiousness, any, you know, if you just want to feel totally relaxed, just go to francapo.com. You enter your email and you get the free download for the mindset meditation. Only do it at night because it does put you to sleep. Only do it at night, but it relaxes you. I don't want people to say, I did it when I was driving. I went off a cliff. Only at night. <laughs> but it's very relaxing. Very relaxing. Very, and filled with all positive thoughts. So people tell me they wake up the next morning feeling very energized also. I love it. I love it. So that's francapo.com. And right. if you want to be relaxed, I'll have that link in everywhere. And, you know, friend, again, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to talk with me. And, and you know, uh, thank you for the time you had with Coach Rocco. Uh, Danny is a, is a good friend of mine. And, and you know, I just was like, I, I want to talk to her. I mean, I because what you were telling her really resonated with me. Like, okay, I'm, I need to keep doing what I'm doing right now. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And you're doing a great job. So um, keep doing it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Well, as we say in Hawk, missile in flight, or as an Oscar Mike radio mission in flight, thank you so much. And Fran will have you back on soon. Great. Bye-bye, guys. <laughs> Cut. Because it's true. I was